Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is this the real life, or is this just a fictional reality? Hello, and welcome to Fictional Reality, a podcast exploring world-building, narrative structure, um, and how we create and impose an imagined world onto the one that we all live in and share. Uh, This week I'm talking to a uh, a friend of mine, John Catania, who was once a reviewer for editor, uh, sorry, for Empire Film Magazine, and we discuss uh, how films, he's a huge film buff, he's also a singer and a writer, um, and we discuss uh, how films build worlds and what gets people hooked into, into a world and how a large element of that is uh, mystery and breadcrumbing the audience. So we talk about a great film, Predestination. Uh, how much do we give audiences? How much is too much information? What's enough so that they keep wanting more? Uh, linear structure and film. It's a very film-focused podcast. So if you're interested in world building and film, uh, this will be a pretty interesting one. But it's a bit of a stray away from the normal puzzle game area that um, that was the first episode. We finish off in what makes a fictional world compelling and which movies do it well. Uh, this was a lovely little chat. We had it in a cafe uh, on a busy Thursday morning, and I hope you enjoy. Uh, without much further ado, here is this week's episode. Thank you. Welcome to a, another episode of Fictional Reality. I have uh, John Catania here. And, uh, well, John, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Um, I had been a film critic for probably, or I'd say, 12 years. Um, and most recently had been writing for Empire Magazine, where I had some amazing experiences, a great opportunity where I got to go on the set of uh, Predestination in 2014, uh, starring Ethan Hawke. Um, it's a great film. It's an awesome film, yeah. yeah. And so I got to actually see Ethan on set doing his thing, watching him act, and had these cams on, um, which allowed me to hear um, the actors in between takes, you know, just chatting amongst the crew and, you know. Cool. And so I got to hear kind of like candid, candid behind the scenes, uh, content and thoughts from Ethan Hawke. Yeah, yeah. Talking about he, it really made me realise just how erudite and how thoughtful uh, and how um, deeply passionate he is about cinema in general. Yeah, right. Uh, which I think some people may not have um, realised just from watching his movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, he's talking to the cinematographer of. Predestination around about Walter Lasserly, who was a supporting actor in 
Before Midnight, which is one of my favourite trilogies ever, but yeah. certainly of his. And uh, Walter Lassily was a, is a Greek cinematographer who was the supporting actor in Before Midnight. He was a Greek cinematographer who worked on Clint Eastwood films back in the 60s. And so uh, getting, getting to hear him talk about you know, film history. Yeah, right. Right up your alley. And I was thinking that was fascinating, yeah. <laughs> well, pre Predestination is, uh, is a bit of a soft spot of mine because it's about time travel. And it was a very fascinating film. And um, I loved how they, they played with the sort, of, the sort of the grandfather paradox with it, but it was also... Oh, it was spoiler alert. If you have, uh, if anyone's listening to this and you haven't seen Predestination, stop this podcast right now because we're going to go into some spoiler territory. Uh, but one of my favourite tropes in in time travel films is the circular story. Yes. And uh, I read a book once that called it the infinite object. Yes. Where in this, in Predestination, Ethan Hawke himself is somewhat of the the infinite object because he creates himself. It certainly is. Yeah, yeah. It's the ultimate narcissism. That's what the uh, the directors told me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what does predest? Uh, I'll just ask this question. What does predestination get right about time travel films, in your opinion? What does it get? It, it builds it builds the world really, really, really well. It's um it borrows. I mean, this is testament to the Spirit Brothers who directed it. Yeah and their filmic influences. I, I was very lucky to interview them as well and uh, they were telling me you know, that their influences were Cronenberg, early Cronenberg movies and, and that uh, noir uh, kind of style. And yeah, so yeah. they fused a lot of noir with elements of hardcore science fiction, yeah. Yeah. but then that was imbued with a very um, emotional, yeah, yeah, and the the movie had like, from memory, because it's been a while since I've seen it, but it had three or four very distinct styles throughout it. Like I remember at the beginning it was very noirish, but then you go into the the futurism part where everything's all clean and white. Yes, yes. Um, but then those those elements of the film work really well to help not give away any parts of the story either. That's right. That's right. It's um it it allows for the the sting in the tail at the end to have a greater impact. Yeah. Interesting, because it it builds it builds an interesting world. Like I'm thinking about fictional realities in film now, yeah, yeah, yeah. and how it, a really effective approach is to use the tools of cinema to create that world. So if you can use shadow to hide a character's face, and that's integral to the plot remaining tight so you don't get any spoilers early on. Definitely, yeah, exactly. The, the more contained the, the atmosphere and the space and the intelligent and judicious use of shot selection as well, um, close-ups, um, create that kind of claustrophobic vibe which also serves the story as well because it, it's elliptical and it serves to keep certain details hidden just out of view, uh, which allows for the audience to, to start to fill in the, the gaps. Because I think, I think with sci-fi in particular and, and time travel films uh, and movies that create 
world very well and very effectively, the, the thing that they do really well, and Predestination is a classic example of it, is they make the audience imagine that they, they make them want to know in their own minds what what's happening yeah you know, what what they're missing yep. visually yep. Um, and so which noir does perfectly yeah, as well exactly and yeah, so yeah. The, it's the audience that is filling in those gaps through their imagination they're starting mm. to because I think the human brain it, it wants it wants a bit of certainty yeah. it, it, it craves knowledge it craves yeah. answers it craves um, progress yeah yeah and it's a tease and it's <laughs> and it's uh, intrinsically compelling yeah, yeah when filmmakers when they're creating worlds uh, very effectively can withhold visual information right uh, it's about revealing little pieces at a time exactly. not too much at once exactly because that actually feeds into the process of stimulating the audience's imagination mm. because that's what their brain will naturally want to do is to start to fill in some of those visual gaps mm. and unravel some of the, the clues that they are personally perceiving yeah, within, yeah. within the, the frame. Well, this is something that actually ruined films for me after... Uh, in my early 20s, uh, so I was like desperate on being a screenwriter. And so I read all the screenwriting books uh, and I read Save the Cat mm -hmm. and Sid Field's sort of like guide to screenwriting. Oh, yes. And they were very much, and so through this, learn about the film industry and that after the spec script boom of like the late 90s, when film producing studios had to find a way to um, sort the wheat from the chaff. Mm -hmm. And so they would. If they couldn't understand the entirety of a film in the first 10 pages, the script, you know, it's like they have 100 scripts to read, I've only got time to read 10 pages mm -hmm. of each. I need to know if this is a blockbuster in the first 10 pages. Mm -hmm. Here are the signposts. Man, that ruined like 90% of films for me because yeah. in the first 10 minutes, you, I was like, oh, there's the setup for the villain, there's the protagonist, there's the, the challenge. All very formulaic. Very formulaic. Mm -hmm. and, and you go, look, and I could never, I couldn't invest, especially in romantic comedies anymore. Oh know? God, no, yeah, no, yeah. no. Um, and but for that very reason, that I wasn't, I was, I was not given the minimum. Oh, what's the word? I was given too much information. Too much. Yeah, yeah. Now they're doing it with trailers. <laughs> oh, I've seen some trailers, and I'm oh. like, this is obviously the final battle scene. I'm like, this is the whole film in two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the latest Fast and Furious, uh, the Hobbs and Shaw movie trailer that just dropped. Yeah. I think it's got, it's probably got every big set piece in the film in that trailer maybe. Yeah. Or it's got at least most of them. And all of these things that it's like, oh, you're just blasting me with information. Yeah. Maybe hoping that I'll forget that I've seen it in the trailer. Yeah. yeah. But I also know what I'm going to get in the film. So mm. and I think I, I think it. with the marketing... Um, Marketing is getting so insidious these days, I think, with film because they 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 treat audiences, people who market films uh, in Hollywood these days, I think they treat audiences very offensively because they they load their entire trailer with essentially they front load all the information. Yeah. So everything that you'll you'll basically see in the first like 20 minutes of the film almost 
it's all in the in the trailer because it's like all the key big action set set pieces and yeah. um, all of the the the, cle- the key pot, pot points. Yeah, the beats. Yeah, all the beats exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's cynical because all of that's really driven to do is to get people to buy. Yeah, yeah. It reads a little desperate, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Like, Look at all these explosions. Yeah. Like, please come and see our movie. Yeah, exactly. Put so much money into exactly, it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, th- it's interesting that we first touched on this idea of like, not of giving the audience only a tiny amount of information and letting their brain fill in the rest. Mm, mm, because mm. in the world I'm in, in this like immersive theater world, mm, mm. Uh, and in puzzle world, and in the game world, mm. uh, is this element of curiosity and mystery Mm. and we play with these things all the time of like especially in escape rooms Mm -hmm. uh, where you're you're given all the information but you have no way to contextualize it Mm -hmm. and so you are only being bled small amounts of information Mm -hmm. and it is very enjoyable when you go oh yeah I've got this cup here and I've got like this salt here Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I do? What do I do? And you put them together, yeah. and something happens, and you yeah. get an answer. You're you go, trying to oh. assemble a puzzle and yep. create uh, disparate el- disparate elements and connect them to create an, uh, an added layer of meaning. Right. In film context, for example. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what that's what classically editing is fundamentally all about. Mm. It's you, know, you go back to Eisenstein, for example, back back in you know, the nineteen. 19- um, and who is Eisenstein? Uh, a, Rus- a Russian uh, filmmaker, um, and you can check out some of his stuff on YouTube. Especially, there's a uh, a sequence um, of with uh, steps, and he was really the first pioneer, really, of of juxtaposing images. Right. Yeah. Through yeah. Through editing. Yeah. To so you have one image that has that elicits one emotion yeah. one one interpretation one meaning mm. and then another that elicits another emotion and another interpretation and another meaning and then it's through the process of juxtaposing those two mm. through a cut yep. that then a third layer of meaning is created yeah, that right. is purely imaginative that is purely through the audience's perception. And isn't that interesting? You have a picture of a person's face and they're looking down, and then the next picture is of a shoe on the ground, mm-hmm. and the brain goes, that person is looking at a shoe on the ground. Mm-hmm. And that, that what you just said then, that third element is pure imagination. Yeah, we, we, don't, we, don't think, we don't look at that and think they're separate elements. Yeah. Because they're cut together. They're connected. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which editing was that quantum leap forward into filmmaking that really established it as mm. a storytelling um, mode, wasn't mm. it? Because mm. before then it was, uh, it, was mo- it was spectacle a lot, was it? Um, or was this before or after the sort of man on the moon? Around about the same period of time, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Because um, I know originally it was just like, a train is coming to the that. screen. Literally that, yeah, literally yeah. that. And it freaked everyone out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah like, you seen editing yet, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just one image of a train, like, thing towards the screen. But yeah. It was funny because no one no one had ever seen anything moving on screen before, so they literally thought a train was, like, barreling towards them. Right, yeah. no context. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. no context. Yeah. Yeah, but then, that's the thing. Editing then created a different context. Uh, and now... 
the sky's the limit with editing, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. We have a multitude of non-linear films. Yeah, right. And filmmaking styles. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino's made that a signature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know what I like in, in Christopher Nolan's early work, how he used time and editing in a similar way where, you know, uh, on the linear scale, the, the edits would be cut together, but there would be edit, there would be scenes from different times. Yes. I'm sure, like, I, you know, I'm not a huge film guy, so Christopher Nolan brought me into that world, but I'm sure mm -hmm. that was used a lot throughout last century mm, of, mm. of thinking, well, you're expecting that we're telling a linear story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you sort of know the rules of editing, mm -hmm, you know, the mm -hmm. cuts leak together, mm -hmm. but now I'm going to pull the rug from under you. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. This cut was actually done way in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So with that in mind, John, of what, um, you know, what makes a fictional world compelling and in film, it seems like we've come to somewhat of an agreement that it's it's giving an audience enough information to stay engaged, but not enough to be able to predict the outcome. Mm -hmm. I think to, not just to stay engaged, but to to actively participate. I think. Okay, right. And I think uh, try and create their own ideas. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And off off camera or off mic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were having that conversation earlier on about um, about how we get a dopamine hit yeah. when uh, we, yeah. we connect um, elements together to create something new. Yes, yeah, and yeah. That, that to me is what the best world builders in any art form yeah. do. They, they craft those experiences mm. internally for audiences to feel like they're participating Interesting. And, and that creates that that excitement and that it creates that exhilaration yeah and, yeah. That, and that desire to know more and yeah. desire to explore more and it's like that feeling of like I, I think I'm piecing this together yeah yeah oh, this yeah. is crazy yeah it's actually just made me think you know this random thing just popped into my head of like uh, you know how we have these deconstructed meals? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it did make me think just then of like the difference between a chef giving you um, all the food in in one big pile, and then sort of like, and this isn't a, this isn't about chefs. This is about storytelling. But like, you're given the elements, mm. and then you put them together, and you sort of enjoy the relationship that gets created mm. by you putting them together. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, flavor profiles, mixing, and all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. What, um, just off the top of your head, what, are, what do you think are some movies that do this exceptionally well? Create this world that is one of intrigue, that just has you, like, for want of a better, a better term, either chasing this dopamine hit mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. constantly trying to make connections. Can you think of any off the top of your head? Aside from Predestination, which I think did it really well. Um, I... <laughs> I hesitate to say usual suspects because of obvious reasons with uh, a certain <laughs> member of the cast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we shall not be named. Yeah, Evan Dracy. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that's a, a great example yep. of drawing an audience into the story and trying to help and engaging them and actually like inspiring them to want to piece it together. Yeah, and then just pulling the rug out from underneath them. There's that fighting in plain sight element as well. Yes. Like it was there all along. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Same with uh, The Sixth Sense. 
Yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. Everyone, I'm pretty sure it's not a spoiler. <laughs> Everyone should know by now yep. the end of that film. If you haven't seen The Sixth yeah. Sense, stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, go and watch it, seriously. What are you doing not watching The Sixth Sense yeah. by this stage? <laughs> Millennials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, That's uh, it. Very well, yeah. yeah. I, I've since watched it many, many, many times yeah. with the express purpose of trying to find the clues. Because it is. Everything is really hiding in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. And I'm actually actively in the subsequent viewings trying to see the signs. Yeah. Do, do you know what film I've done that with? And every single time I watch it, I get something new from it. Uh, the Prestige. Yes, that's another great example of that. Yeah. 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 And you, you look at it and you're like, oh my God, yeah, of course. Like, you had no hope of ever getting it for the first time round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes good good for repeat viewing when you have this hiding in plain sight element. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I mean, Christopher Nolan, as you pointed out, is, has, is been, is very good at uh, non-linear storytelling as well. Mm. I mean, Memento was a great example of that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't kind of, I still can't think of too many other films that have told their, their narrative backwards. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a bold undertaking. Yeah, extremely to this day. Um, and the fascinating thing about it is the the emotional takeaway that you get from a story told backwards. You know. <laughs> yeah, right. It's this sort of because the brain's constantly trying to put it in forward order as well. So every time you get a piece of the backwards story. You're sort of going, oh, I'm understanding a little bit more yeah. toward that end goal now. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. emotionally, emotionally, it's building forward by telling the story backward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's quite fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we'll call it there. Awesome. But um, that was very fun. Thanks, Joe, for uh, agreeing to record this podcast in a cafe. I, I enjoyed it. The ambient noise of all this lovely chinkling and chankling and coffee oh. grinding isn't too uh, abrupt, but... Uh, coffee, this is my world. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Movies and coffee. You can't go wrong. <laughs> movies and coffee. That's the name of John's uh, latest podcast. <laughs> it will be, actually. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks very much, John. And uh, oh, we'll see you next time. Excellent. Thank you. That was fun. All right, that was this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to a little bit of a discuss uh, discussion with John about uh, building fictional worlds in film. Uh, please subscribe uh, to this channel. Uh, we will re be releasing an episode every week, a fictional episode and a reality episode. So uh, keep an eye out for them. The next time you will hear from us here at Fictional Reality, we will be showcasing an evening with the Berettis. Uh, so stay tuned for that. That's going to drop in a few days. Uh, like and subscribe, as I said, and most importantly, thanks for listening. Take care.